Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Heading into the Thanksgiving holiday, you may have some extra time for books, and uh, this is a good time, we hope, to compile our latest UPR book list. And so we want to know what you're reading. You can email us right now to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Give us your book list, whether it be one book or many books. This could be the latest and greatest, or you might be diving back into a classic. We'd love to get your recommendation, and we'll compile all this, put it on our website today, and we can benefit from each other's reading. Uh, UPR book list is what we're compiling. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. And uh, we'll also be talking with Kent Windward from a new bookshop. It's called Booked on 25th in Ogden. They're going to join us. And as always, we are joined by Elaine Thatcher. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Elaine, you, uh, you run Summerfest here in Logan. I do. And uh, you, I think people maybe maybe don't know you. You you do oral histories. You do uh, I do oral a lot of history, things. and I, I'm a folklorist by training. But um, Summerfest is occupying my interest right now. We're building. We're busy at this moment. Busy at this moment. Yeah. So the preparations. Yeah. Lot, <laughs> lot behind the scenes before it actually happens yes. in the summer. Yeah. All right, and avid reader. Yes. And so we'll get uh, we get your latest uh, book list. And you told me before we went on the air, Elaine, that you're uh, maybe we'll get into talking about uh, not only books but well, you know, other things. Yeah, I've um, I, I my book list is a little shorter this time because I've spent so much time reading blogs and magazines. <laughs> All right, and I I would I can make a couple of recommendations there. So okay, I was just uh, I was in the Atlantic magazine uh, a couple of days ago. Started an article. I thought it was going to be shorter, and uh, of course, the Atlantic. I should have known better. <laughs> As I was scrolling down, scrolling down, I was reading it online. I thought I'm going to have to bookmark this for, for uh, later. In, in fact, the Atlantic is my new favorite read. Mm. Um, I uh, it's one of the best magazines out there. And no, they do not do short pieces. <laughs> no, no, they don't really. They don't really. But do they that, are yeah. very usually very insightful and analytical. Yeah. I've uh, I do periodically I try to uh, pull away from day to day politics. It's a futile <laughs> effort. I'm just so fascinated. I've always been a political junkie, um, and in the age of Trump, you just uh, there's just so know, much, just to, so much to there's talk about. So much. Yeah, uh-huh. um, but uh, the Atlantic, I think, uh, is it a little bit of a remove, kind of longer pieces, more contextualization, mm-hmm. and so it, I've I tried to go there. Yeah, it's probably a little left leaning, but it's. I feel like the analysis is always so good there. It's yeah. just I learn when I read articles in the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, let's uh, let's jump right in. What's what's uh, first book you could uh, well, recommend to us? You know, as usual, um, uh, my books are old. <laughs> mm-hmm. I choose a lot of the classics. I um, finished reading um, a man called Intrepid, which I think I mentioned I was starting last time. But I, it's um, from the 1970s, and it discloses all of this amazing. Uh, fifth column kind of activity that happened in World War II. It was the spy networks managed by a man named William Stevenson, who was British, but who set up a spy office in the United States before the U.S. was involved in the war. And uh, because they were afraid that if they had their headquarters in London, that if the Nazis took over, uh, they would not be able to continue to operate. So they chose to have a, a place in New York and also one near Toronto. So anyway, it's a fascinating book, and it it you he used so many non-professionals in his work. You know, there were a lot of famous entertainers. Uh, Roald Dahl was a spy in that network. Really? Yes, wow. believe it or not. Wow. And uh, of course, Ian Fleming, um, and um, uh, Noel Coward. Also, no even, coward. I can't picture him as a I spy. know. I okay. can't either. Mm-hmm. But you know, he he was very famous at the time, and uh, Coward himself said that his fame made it possible for him to get into places where others might not be able to get to enter, and people would talk to him about things. You know, so he actually was 
a spy for the the British. Wow, wow, it's, it's a really interesting book. Uh, tell us the, the, the title and author again. It's called A Man Called Intrepid by William Stevenson. It's William Stevenson with a V, who is the author, who is writing about William Stevenson with a PH, who <laughs> was the, the spy master. Okay. <laughs> a little confusing. Uh, a Man Called Intrepid. Uh, that's, that sounds uh, interesting. Um, I have a, I have a bunch of books here on the, the Civil War and the Civil War era, and I have to thank uh, General John Kelly for this. Uh, he is <laughs> President Trump's uh, chief of staff, and he made some controversial remarks recently, a uh, somewhat revisionist uh, view of the Civil War. I think specifically he said uh, Civil War happened because of lack of compromise or failure to mm-hmm. compromise, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, that was immediately pushed back on by most historians and, uh, and many commentators. I've had a kind of an interest in the Civil War anyway, and this uh, this really pushed me down a rabbit hole, and I've I've been uh, happily living there <laughs> ever since. Um, and so, the first book that I would uh, can hardly recommend is "The Impending Crisis" by Edward Potter. Uh, Edward Potter was the professor at Stanford University. And uh, my first thought was, uh, well, well, hey, I can read this book, and then I can have Professor Potter on Access Utah. I, I have the luxury of having a yeah. media platform. <laughs> uh, I found, though, that this uh, book was published posthumously uh, by his, uh, a- and was finished by his colleague. He, he died before the, the uh, book was, uh, was finished, and so that would be a miraculous interview on Access <laughs> Utah were it to happen. But it's a fascinating book, um, and, and this takes uh, the years 1848 to, uh, to 1861. And so it ad- addresses potentially exactly General Kelly's point. And what was the title again? The Impending Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, let me just bring this up here. Um, the Impending Crisis, America Before the Civil War, 1848 to 1861. David Potter is, uh, is the author. And uh, it's... It, uh, it, it charts America before the Civil War and uh, and, uh, and 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 goes through all of the many compromises that postponed the Civil War. If you if you take that that view, that this was going to have to be dealt with sooner or later. Finally, in eighteen, with the election of Abraham Lincoln, and, uh, things had reached ahead. Uh, uh, secession crises before that, which were always headed off by uh, by compromises. Um, and, and the surprising to me uh, effects of westward expansion in the in the Mexican War, uh, which which had an effect because it then uh, took the slavery debate uh, to further and further more and more states. Um, Frederick Jackson Turner, who was a famous historian of the West, and he um, he. Uh, he declared the end of the frontier, I think, in – it's been a long time since I studied this stuff, but in, like, 1895 or something. Yeah. But um, I believe it was him that uh, uh, that ca- characterized the West and all that land and open space out, out West as a pressure-relieving valve at the time. So people who were embroiled in things in the East – could get away. So it kind of makes me wonder if the West became so- something of a pressure valve for the some of those arguments in the Civil War. Yeah, it, it, it seems like, I mean, that could have been the case, but it seemed like more it worked the other way. It was, uh, uh, the debate became, uh, <clears throat> for the southern states, became very important that the, ex- the, 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 the new states, the new states be, become yeah. slave states mm-hmm. or have the opportunity to do so. Utah was a, was a part of that. There was a you know, yes. debate over is Utah going to come in? And it always had to it have to have two states coming together, right? One free and one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one slave. Um, and then the uh, the the, uh, the death of the Whig Party and the and the rise of the Republicans and uh, yeah, very fascinating. So it's the impending crisis by Edward. Potter. Well, what a lot of people don't know now is that the Republican Party was the progressive uh, left leaning party at that time. Yeah, they are the ones. You know, they were anti slavery, and that's what gave them their push into power. But it, it was, um, uh, you know, that their their position on the political spectrum has changed over the the years. Yeah, 
Yeah. And the uh, Democratic Party was the party of uh, <clears throat> conservatism <clears throat> and, and keeping things the way they were in the mm-hmm. South with the, with slavery. Yeah. yeah. And so they were associated for many years with Jim Crow and with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with, yeah. with with some horrible things. And then then things changed and then it flipped. Well, that's why we had yeah. so many strong Southern Democrats for so long. Um, and the, a lot of Southerners remained. Uh, we shouldn't get into this. So we're talking yeah. about books. But anyway, they remained. um uh, loyal to the Democratic Party, well, uh, pretty much into the Reagan era. I yeah, think. yeah. So. And then, then there was a very sudden shift. Yes, you had many, uh, many senators, uh, you know, several senators switching parties. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, another, I just want to recommend one more before we uh, we get back to your list, uh, Elaine. And that is, and I found this. I mean, it, it's been out there, and it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty well known. But I found it reading uh, something in the Atlantic. Uh, and this is a, uh, a post, an article by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, the title is provocative, Five Books to Make You Less Stupid About the Civil War. And I think Mr. Coates is referring to, in part, to General Kelly. He feels like the remark that General <laughs> Kelly made was, was, was stupid. Um, he, he's not directly attacking General Kelly, but um, he's saying, hey, if you're interested in the Civil War, here are the books to read. And one of those is Battle Cry of Freedom by James McPherson. It's a one-volume synthesis of the Civil War, and it's been fascinating. I've been really diving into that one. The, the biggest thing I've been taking from that is the whole Fugitive Slave Act, how important that is, how how impactful that was, and just the the, the human drama. The uh, you know, once the Fugitive Slave Act passed, uh, slave catchers felt emboldened to go into the North, and the, sometimes they would not particular on who they who they snatched. It could be a free black person, not an yeah. not an escaped yes. slave, um, or they'd get the wrong person. But then the but then the pushback. Many northern cities, the citizens would uh, would resist. Um, they'd they'd form a circle around the you know they'd protect the fugitive slave. Um, and in some cases, uh, the 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 fugitive slaves themselves armed themselves and uh, fought back. And then there was ramifications of that. Yes. Uh, what what do we do about that? And so that uh, just the human drama of that has been fascinating for me to to read. Well, I only recently discovered Ta-Nehisi Coates, and and I you know just a few months ago. And um, if you haven't read anything he's written, he has written very compellingly about race in America, and um, you know just uh, his perspective and his ability to lay out an argument is just really. Very, very. He's a good writer. Yeah. So if you haven't read anything by Coates, search him out. Yeah, he's he's important new voice. Um, and uh, so I recommend the Impending Crisis by Edward Potter and Battle of Craft Freedom by James McPherson. I'll I'll have more as we go along. Uh, maybe before we have, I believe we have Andy Nettle on the line. Uh, before we do go to Andy, uh, one more book from you, Elaine. Sure. Um, I finally read Out of Africa. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> and it's a lovely narrative. It's beautifully written, and uh, the description of the country and the people, it is a gorgeous book, and it's not long, and I highly recommend it, by Isaac Dennison. Have you uh, seen the movie? Of course. Okay. Yes. How, does it, uh, <laughs> how does it compare? Well, the movie cherry-picks things out of out of out of Africa and also out of some other publications that she okay. wrote right. and puts them together into a primarily a love story. Um, whereas Out of Africa, the book is really, it's it's um, little stories, short anecdotes and vignettes of her life in Africa and the her interactions with Africans, Her you know, they were all her servants and so forth. And, you know, some people claim that she was racist. I think she was a product of her time. I think she truly cared for the people that worked for her. But, you know, it, it was it was what it was at that time. Yeah. But, yeah. We're compiling UPR book list, and uh, we would especially love to hear from you. What are you reading? Could be uh, the latest and the greatest, could be uh, older, and we'll add in... Uh, Blogs and magazines, we've added that in. That's where uh, Elaine's been going uh, recently. Uh, so upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at gmail.com is where to submit your list. And we bring in uh, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Uh, Andy, welcome back to the program. Hi, Andy. Happy Thanksgiving, Tom and Elaine. Happy Thanksgiving to you. 
So uh, what's uh, what's on your list to read uh, this long weekend? It's so hard to choose this time of the year. There's so many wonderful books. But being a regional bookstore, uh, my first uh, couple books are somewhat regional novels and nonfiction pieces, but applicable to uh, literally anyone in the country. First off, Chip Ward. Chip uh, is best known, perhaps, for his work with uh, Heal Utah. He is a co-founder of Heal Utah and uh, one of the directors of the Salt Lake City Library for many years and had done a, a, several really well-received nonfiction books, Hope's Horizon and Canaries on the Rim. And at long last, he decided to put his big toe into the world of fiction. And Tory House Press just last week published Chip's Stony Mesa Sagas. If you can consider a mashup of the citizenry of Escalante, Boulder, Utah, Tory, Moab, and throw them all into a blender, and voila, you're going to have the character, the rich, rich characters of Stony Mesa Sagas. And it's being comped uh, several times I've read to Monkey Wrench Gang, which I would dispute. It's, it's not a monkey wrench gang. But I think there's perhaps a movement afoot to uh, write about resistance and, and civil disobedience. Uh, Bill McKibben also has a, a new book, a fictional look at a similar theme called Radio Free Vermont. But um, here Chip Ward has taken three loosely related novellas and put them uh, with that group of zany, zany citizens. You've got Luna Waxwing, Hip Hop Hopi, uh, Bo Heineman, uh, Bunny Cleaver, and many, many more. <laughs> and it just pits uh, the, the left, the right, the, the environmentalists, the uh, uh, developers kind of against each other in a small fictional southeast Utah town. And it's a fun, fun read. Stony Mesa Sagas by Chip Ward. Oh, sounds, sounds great. A little bit more serious of a note, we move on to the Elk Mountain Mission, a history of Moab, Mormons, the Old Spanish Trail, and the Seberich Utes, 1854-1855, by uh, local historian Tom McCourt and Wade Allenson, published by Southpaw Publications. It's uh, almost incredible that there's never been a full-length look at the Elk Mountain Mission right here in Moab in that the crossing at the Colorado River was such an important crossing right on the old Spanish Trail. And it seemed like the perfect settlement for Brigham Young to uh, send some pioneers down to settle this area. Seven years after uh, the Mormons reached the Salt Lake Valley, uh, Brigham sends 53 men to come down and attempt to build an establishment, set up a fort, and farm literally where present-day Moab is today. Almost from the get-go, they run into problems, however. And what uh, Tom McCourt and Wade Allenson have done is a remarkable piece of research. They've found most of the original journals from the early uh, Mormon uh, settlers here in the Moab Valley, and they've put together actually a riveting story. We all know what the ending is, and yet how we get there is quite remarkable. And they detail the, the difficulties of farming in, in a desert community, the rising tensions uh, both within the mission and the members of the mission, and the rising tensions, more importantly, with the Ute Indians and, to some extent, the uh, Navajo Indians. And within a year and a half, the uh, Mormons have left the Moab Valley. And for a wider consequence, in part because of the failure of the Elk Mountain Mission, here in Moab. It wasn't until 1878 that the church tried again to uh, settle southeast Utah when the Holnerock uh, expedition took place. So it's a very important story to Utah, a very important story to uh, Mormon culture, and it in part explains, I think, why Moab has never been considered to be a strong uh, Mormon community like a lot of the other southeast Utah communities that, that have that rich, rich Mormon tradition. Mm-hmm. That's the Elk Mountain Mission by Tom McCourt and Wade Allenson. Great. Great. Yeah, that sounds like some uh, some good history. What's uh, what's next on your list? 
Well, it's a piece of uh, pure fiction by a uh, wonderful, wonderful author, M. Dressler. Uh, she lives uh, both in Moab, but also is a professor of writing and literature at Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's called The Last to See Me, published by Skyhorse Publishing. And it is so far out, uh, Tom and Elaine, of what I normally would read, but because M. Dressler was doing an event here, I, I felt compelled to pick the book up, and I was sucked right into it. It's a modern-day ghost story. It's a, it's a gothic tale with a modern twist that kind of moves seamlessly between the present and the past. To set the stage, you're along the northern California coast, a town very similar to Mendocino, and the town has already been cleansed of any phantoms or spirits, except they missed one, Emma Rose Finnis, <laughs> and her spirit still lives on in this old, old uh, timber baron mansion called the Lambry Mansion. And it, it's just this interesting, compelling juxtaposition between a voice of 80 to 100 years ago of this uh, young lady who's now uh, a ghost and present-day developers who are trying to sell the house and uh, the spirits all come back to life. It's a ghost story, it's a, a love story, and it's a very compelling read. M. Dressler's The Last to See Me. The, the Last to See Me, okay. Uh, and yeah, I'll that... send this whole, I've got many, okay. many more books than we have time, but I'll, I'll get the list up to you to post Okay. Okay, wonderful. Maybe, maybe one more book? Yeah, I would be remiss to not uh, honor Katie Lee. Uh, we, yes. we lost Katie Lee on November 1st of this year. Uh, for those of you who don't know Katie, she uh, was an American hero. She's a folk singer, an author, a filmmaker, uh, and a troublemaker. A character. Uh, Katie mm-hmm. uh, grew up in, in the lights of Hollywood, uh, toured the country, good friends of Burl Ives, but once she made her first trip down the Glen, as she called it, Glen Canyon before the dam, that changed her life. And Katie spent the next 50 years uh, fighting uh, not only for Glen Canyon, but also uh, for the earth on our behalf. She was a feisty, feisty woman. And she's laughing still at age 98 up there in heaven. Uh, if she made heaven, I'm not sure. Uh, but she left a great legacy of, of literature and music, the Ballad of Gutless Ditch, the Ghosts of Dandy Crossing, Sandstone Seduction, Glen Canyon Betrayed, 10,000 Goddamn Cattle, and a whole host of CDs and albums. So uh, here's to you, Katie Lee. I will second that. Mm, that's wonderful. I'll have to have to check those out. Well, Andy, you'll send us your full list. We'll get that up on our website. Uh, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Thanks so much. Oh, you are so welcome. Happy holidays. Happy you holidays too, to you. Bye-bye. We're uh, due for a break. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we will uh, get to an email from Steve. Uh, he has emailed in a... Uh, a suggestion for a magazine to read. All right. Um, and we hope to hear from you. We're compiling a UPR book list, and uh, this time around we're adding uh, magazines and blogs as well. And I'd uh, love to know what you're reading, and or we'll compile this, put it together on our website, and uh, and uh, we'll be able to uh, uh, get some interesting suggestions. It's always uh, nice to hear what people are reading, and uh, I often... Uh, pick from uh, the book list that we've compiled to uh, to enjoy myself and that's the that's the whole purpose here join together as a community so we'll have more um, following this break thanks for listening to access Utah I'm Tom Williams we're compiling a UPR book list we do this periodically and it's uh, great to know what you're reading I may not have uh, even considered it and uh, I've, I've uh, got some great ideas over the uh, over the years doing this kind of a show and uh, and getting a list from uh, Elaine Thatcher who joins us uh, from our listeners from the booksellers that we talk to as well so we'd love uh, for you to share what you're reading and we'll compile all this on our website upr.org you can uh, respond to the program here with your book list uh, by email to upraxcess at gmail.com upraxcess at gmail.com 
And we've had this email come in from Steve. Steve says, I'm going to have to listen to today's show on uh, tonight's rebroadcast because I'm running to an appointment. But since you're discussing magazines as well as books today, I want to lob in a recommendation. Harper's Magazine, which I continue to read avidly as I have been doing since the 1970s. Harper's has much in common with The Atlantic, which you've already mentioned, but in my opinion, uh, with deeper reporting and better writing. Not sure why this would be so, since they're both monthlies. Perhaps it is the legacy of Lewis Latham, who was the editor of Harper's for many decades. When I was young, I subscribed to and avidly read The Atlantic, The New Republic, and Harper's, and would often pick up The New Yorker on newsstands. But of the four, over the years, Harper's is the only one I still read regularly. That is from Steve. Great thank suggestion. you for that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I, I remember uh, my father subscribed to Harper's, The Atlantic, and New Republic, all of those. And as a kid, not understanding everything, I would, uh, to feel more grown up, I would, I would uh, leave through all of those. Mm-hmm. And I remember he kept though he kept back copies in the basement. I'd go down every once in a while and leaf through those. And as I grew up, I was I, I understood more and more. But I think it I think it accelerated my my learning. <laughs> I had access to Reader's Digest when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, <laughs> I but did also too. Yes. National Geographic. My dad had he kept every issue he ever got. After, you know, starting in like 1933. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I'm subscribed to National Geographic. I, I I love it. You know, it takes you around the world. Basically, yes, I love yeah. I love the the travel in the armchair kind of a kind of the uh, uh, feeling there. So uh, Harper's add Harper's to um, the Atlantic. Uh, we'd love to get your magazine suggestion or blog. Uh, suggestion or what are you reading online that's more and more of us are doing that in my promotional announcement uh, for today's program i referenced uh, your theoretical nightstand delay i don't know if you <laughs> it's piled high <laughs> okay so you do have an actual nightstand with books well it's, okay. it's a headboard okay yeah, with a bookcase yeah. in it yeah do you you read do you read electronically as well i do a lot i have i have a kindle um, I read a lot online. That's where the blogs and some of these magazines come in. But, um, yes, and then all those books on my nightstand. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I didn't just totally make that up. Um, uh, pretty soon we're going to be talking with Kent Winward from a new bookstore booked on 25th in Ogden. Uh, before we get there, that's been about 10 minutes. Uh, Lane, what's, what's the next book or two on your list? Well, since <clears throat> excuse me, since we've been talking about blogs, I want to mention a favorite of mine. Um, it's a Mormon history blog called Keep a Pitchin' In. Now, Keep a Pitchin' In was the name of an early Mormon newspaper, and uh, the historian artist Partial, who lives in Salt Lake, uh, used just took that name for her blog. It's like Keep a Pitchin' In okay. all run together. dot org, I believe. So um, she is one of the most interesting historians I know, and she has this gift for delving into the minutia of the past. I mean, she reads through not only letters and so forth, but old magazines, and occasionally on her blog she will publish um, a, a, a story in, in complete from one of the early new early era magazines or something, you know, she'll, or the Relief Society magazine, she will um, publish some of those. But she uh, is also right now working on a book on Mormon women called She Shall Be an Ensign. So that's not out yet, but keep your eyes peeled for that. But <clears throat> if you are interested in Mormon history, check out keepapitchinin.org. Keepapitchinin.org. All yeah. right. We'll mm-hmm. do it. Uh, to take a look at that. What, what else? Well, um, I am right now reading um, The Woman in White, which uh, by Wilkie Collins. It yeah, was, classic. Yes. It was, I think, built, or built written in the 1890s. It is considered the first um, detective novel, uh, murder mystery or something, you know, so... I am enjoying that immensely. I'm I'm reading it right now. So I, you know, it's just lovely prose and um, good story. And suspenseful. Yes. Yeah. 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 Very, mm-hmm. very well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Next up on my list, um, I had been interested in this for a while, uh, ever since I knew he was writing this. So I was able to talk to Ron Chernow about um, Hamilton. Oh, uh, yes. On the occasion of, uh, you know, the... Broadway musical, 
Um, and he said his next project was a biography of uh, Ulysses S. Grant. So that's fascinating. Grant's a fascinating character. And uh, that biography is now out. Yes. And as is his want, this is, you know, about 20,000 pages. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a long, long read. Uh, you know, I don't know how it's not 20,000, but it's long. Um, but it is, it, it is fascinating. And uh, Chernow does have, he has a definite point of view. He, he seeks to rehabilitate Grant's uh, reputation. Uh, he's definitely in Grant's camp. Uh, he says the alcoholism gets overblown. He says it was there, definitely, but uh, later in life he had uh, essentially overcome it. And he uh, he also uh, says that uh, Grant gets a bad rap uh, from his presidency, and there was corruption. Uh, but he said that he uh, was pushing back against the uh, evil forces of Reconstruction, and it definitely was an advocate for the, the freed slaves. Um, so uh, it's simply titled Grant by Ron Chernow. Yes, I've read about that one. Um, let's see. The next one is a, f- a fascinating uh, book um, called Race and Reunion by David Blight. And uh, this, this is an interesting premise. It uh, begins essentially at Appomattox and uh, traces the way that we have battled over the history of the Civil War. Uh, civil war in our popular uh, memory and uh, and how that's gone back and forth and back and forth and of course rages still today and so it's a it's a history of how we remember the civil war um david blight's race and reunion very uh, timely book if you've ever been to the south i mean i i hadn't been i didn't go to the south till i was well into adulthood and i was surprised at how present the civil war is there how how much it is an influence on everyday life, you know. And then this whole issue of the statues and so forth, I mean, there are so many things. It's still a very present kind of a, a thing. Yeah, yeah, very present. And, uh, you know, as you say, nationally at this point. Uh, so what's uh, what's another one on your list? Well, you know, there are books that I um, I don't read start to finish, but I read at I knit, I, I pick and choose, read little bits in them here and there. And I've got a couple uh, with me here that uh, are in that category. Um, because I wor- I've worked most of my life in nonprofits, and I still work in one now, um, there's a book called How the Nonprofit Community, well, it's called Charity Case is the title, uh, by Dan Pallotta. And it's how the nonprofit community can stand up for itself and really change the world. And it is even more um, uh, relevant perhaps now because of the changes in the tax law which are going to affect nonprofits. And um, so this – Dan Pallotta also wrote one – a book called Uncharitable, which I have not read. But, you know, these books are about um, – the importance of the nonprofit world and how how the nonprofit world can thrive. So, if that's of interest to you, that's one. And of interest to public radio. Yeah, <laughs> right. One. Right. So, tell us the title again. It's called Charity Case by Dan Pallotta. Okay, interesting title. Yes, uh, there's uh, uh-huh. there's uh, many meanings there. <laughs> yes. Uh, what's next on your list? Okay, another one that I read at here and there is The Artist's Way. A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity by Julia Cameron. This is a fairly well-known book among the creative set, and it's um, it it is all about how to to discover and recover your creative self. And it has exercises in it, and inspirational information, and <clears throat> um, oops, it's uh, it's just. It's a terrific book, and a lot of people have found it. And it's actually part of a trilogy. Um, the other two books are uh, Finding Water, The Art of Perseverance, and Walking in This World, The Practical Art of Creativity. So um, if you are ready to find your creative side, I would recommend The Artist's Way. The Artist's Way. And the, the author again? Julia Cameron. Julia Cameron. All right. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what was the phrase you used? Read at? Uh, yes, I read at some books. You know, I, I have a lot of books on my nightstand that I just pick up now and then and read a little bit of. Yeah, yeah, I do that as well. That's, I, li- <laughs> I like that phrase. I'll I'll start using that. Uh, read at. Um, so uh, Steve has written back in, 
and he says it's he says of course it's Lewis Lapham, longtime at Harper's editor, not uh, Latham. He says he when he retyped his email, <laughs> the autocorrect <laughs> incorrectly substituted Latham for Lapham, and he wants us to know that he indeed knows it is Lewis Lapham. Um, and now he says, I am really late for my appointment. So. <laughs> <laughs> go, 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 Steve. Appreciate you listening, Steve. <laughs> and appreciate you. So we'll make, we'll make that correction for our list uh, that we get on, on our website. By the way, we're, that's where we're heading. We're going to, we're compiling this list uh, for all of us. Uh, we may have interesting books that we not, may not have thought of. And uh, pooling our resources, we can compile a, a great uh, book list, our UPR book list. That'll be on our website, upr.org. You can send your list in. We hope that you will. We'd love to know what you're reading. Uh, right now, perhaps you can send in books that you read at um, and books that you come back to repeatedly. Um, and the place to send the book list is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Tom Williams here with Elaine uh, Thatcher. Uh, uh, books that I, I guess I could use that phrase, uh, read at, uh, at least I come back time and time and time again. I always have some P.G. Woodhouse on my, yes. <laughs> my nightstand. Um, you know, it's life gets pretty serious. It's good to escape into that world mm-hmm. of just that light world of farce. Yes. Uh, the P.G. Woodhouse wrote many, many, many books, and uh, you a lot to choose from. <laughs> and uh, so the one I'm reading recently, uh, most recently, is The Inimitable Jeeves, and it's just some uh, some short pieces. They're connected but uh, it's all about the butler Jeeves who saves the uh, idiot uh, but kind-hearted young man Wooster. Yes. <laughs> and if you've seen the uh, the BBC series um, with Hugh Laurie and, with Hugh Laurie and, uh, and Stephen, uh, Stephen Fry, who are perfect, by the way, I can't, <laughs> especially for Wooster, I can't imagine anybody better than uh, better than uh, Hugh Laurie. Oh, yeah, he's great. He he does a great idiot. <laughs> um, if you've seen Blackadder, the, and, yes. uh, the, yeah. the the prince, that's another wonderful idiot that. Uh, that Hugh Laurie plays. Anyway, uh, many of those plots were taken from the inevitable Jeeves. So uh, anyway, uh, always recommend some P.G. Woodhouse. So uh, now we bring in um, from a new bookstore booked on 25th in Ogden, bring in uh, Kent Winward and uh, Julia Winward. Uh, welcome to the program. It's actually, it's actually Julianne. But Ju- uh, Julianne. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm Kent. <laughs> Kent. Kent Winward and Julianne. Yes, Julianne Carter Winward, my, my wife. Okay, great. She's here uh, with me today, too. So. All right, good to have you both with us. Uh, maybe start with Kent. Uh, what uh, What's first on your list? Well, I, I guess I guess the question is first on which list, because I, I got called into this just the last minute, but I'm guessing what I'm reading right now, is that... What you're reading right now, now? yes, yes, yeah. Well, I, actually, I'm not reading it right now, but I did uh, just... Finish. <laughs> I did just finish uh, Tennessee Coates's uh, "We Were Eight Years in Power." Okay. Yeah, All we right. just talked about him earlier in the yeah. program. So we were. Yeah, well, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to listen to the program earlier. Yeah, we we hadn't mentioned that book, so uh, we. But had, yeah, we had, we, I yeah. was saying I just discovered Coates uh, a few months ago, and I think he's great. So tell us the title again. Uh, we were eight years in power. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually a collection of his Atlantic articles uh, during the Obama administration. Um, interestingly enough, that that um, that quote, "We were eight years in power," is actually not a quote uh, from about the Obama administration, but from a biracial politician in 1895 in South Carolina. Who named Thomas Miller? Who actually was talking at the South Carolina convention that was going, that was really at the start of Jim Crow, and talking about how for eight years uh, the blacks had had some political power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And there's been some wonderful articles there in the Atlantic. This is a collection of of, of those. Uh, what's What's uh, next on your list? Well, next on my list. Um, I wish they. I wish they. I wish they told me that I was supposed to have a list because. <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> I, I actually I actually have lots of books that I'm reading uh, at any given time, uh, just for my own pure pleasure. Uh, I've been reading me personally. I've been reading Tales of Ordinary Madness by Charles Bukowski, but that's 
that's probably not the most hot <laughs> book. It's one of the, one of the older. Uh, I mean, Bukowski is a treat into himself if you if you like what he does. Well, you kind of fit into my category then, because I'm always reading the classics. <laughs> well, I don't know how Charles Bukowski would feel about being called the classics. <laughs> yeah, we... yeah I, I, I do. We do. We do read the class. I mean, I, with how fast it all moves, it is a classic. Yeah. Yeah, I guess with how fast time moves, that has become a classic. Yeah, sometimes it becomes a classic before you know it, right? Yeah. The, the time passes. Yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd take all comers, the new books, old books, uh, whatever whatever's on your mind. Uh, what about you, uh, Julianne? What I'm reading currently? Uh, or or anything that comes to mind that you might recommend. Oh, geez. Well, <laughs> that's, that's something because part of uh, my job, what I do is, is read um, and... Um, one of my favorite authors um, is David Foster Wallace, and I'm right in the middle of Room in the System. Uh, but last year, I, uh, for the first time, read Infinite Jest. And when I finished the book, I turned around and began at page one and read it through in its entirety. Wow. Right through again. Wow. Because it was so uh, big, and I don't mean in an actual uh, voluminous way. I mean, it was so big in terms of how many themes and how many uh, universal um, truths uh, and and the depth of it. It was such a masterpiece, and yet it was also one of the most funny books I've ever read in my life. Tears streaming down my face funny. And I always looked at people and, and, and wondered how they could say, oh, this is a book about addiction. This is a book. No, no, no. That was a, a motif. The, the deeper meaning is not an addiction to a substance, but the addiction our culture really has to not just entertainment, but I believe to diversion. Um, it keeps us from examining what's inside of ourselves if we keep uh, what's external very, very busy, very, very loud. And the internet and our phones are me machines, as Joshua Ferris, another one of my favorite authors, uh, says in his one, of, one of his books um, called To Rise Again in a Decent Hour. That is another beautiful book. but. They all touch on the themes of, of, of technology and what it has done, the impact it's had on, on reading books as opposed to uh, diversion and entertainment. Uh, it sounds fascinating. Yeah, some good points there. So, Julianne, uh, anything else uh, come to mind that you might uh, recommend to us? Um, <clears throat> again, Joshua Ferris. He's done some extremely um, wonderful work. Um, I, I enjoy Robert Olin Butler very much. Uh, again, David Foster Wallace. I read a lot of the classics, too. Uh, Hemingway and Steinbeck are probably two of my favorite authors in that regard, but I would have to say probably Philip Roth uh, is probably one of my, one of my favorite storytellers. Uh, people often think that he is, um, you know, some sort of literary... Um, I don't know, genius of some kind, and that his books are inaccessible, when in fact it's just the opposite. His storytelling is it, so incredibly accessible. And he's been maligned with a lot of his work um, as being a misogynist. And, and that fascinates me, because I, I, find, I don't find that to be true at all. I'm being a woman, you know, sometimes women are very, very attuned to that, but I, I haven't found that in his work. But I, I really enjoy Philip Roth. Um, as far as poetry, I love Bukowski. Um, I, I, I love Nikki Giovanni. Um, oh, gosh, there's... Mary Oliver. I love Mary Oliver, uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay. I, I love some of Sylvia Plath's work. But I, I do, uh, again, I do a lot of reading. I, I write, or I, li I like to read very, very challenging books. I, I think it's interesting, with, with Infinite Jest specifically, uh, people will say, Oh, it's on my list. It's it's that's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> they they treat it like it's a root canal that just has to get done at some point. But <laughs> um, right. it, 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 they look at it as a chore. And my mm. thought is, life is too short. If a book is a chore, don't read it. Yeah. Uh, Infinite Jest doesn't make you smarter or sexier if you've read it. <laughs> okay. Well, well, Sorry. I can I can disagree with that yeah. just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, there, I mean, people take college classes to, to understand this book, and the fact of the matter is 
you don't have to. You simply have to read it and allow it to just imbue you. You just enjoy every word. And, and words to the wise, if you have a Kindle, don't look up the words. Most of them are made up. It's okay. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we, we've just got a couple of minutes uh, left here. Um, I can't. does anything else come to mind for you? Well, well yeah. I, I actually have a big, long list of books <laughs> oh, okay and by the by the I mean, way we'll have you we'll have I, you uh, send those to upr access at gmail.com we'll, we'll uh, give you that uh, and and we'll we'll get that on our website but uh, maybe pick one well actually anything by my wife that that's fantastic okay all right <laughs> she, she, she's a writer as well uh, she writes under the name of J.A. Carter Winward but uh, Carter Winward yeah but all right. I need to say my R's and T's. Got that great bass and rural dialect that drops the R's and T's. <laughs> uh, another, another, one last maybe recommendation. Uh, I I have really enjoyed, and I think the sixth book's coming out in that is the My Struggle series by Carl Ove Knarsgaard. And my Norwegian's not too hot, but. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed those books quite a lot. Oh, fa- uh, fascinating. Uh, so uh, Kent, Julianne Winward, uh, Kent and Julianne Winward from Booked on 25th in Ogden have joined us. And you'll, you'll send us in your, your full list, I guess. That, so we'll put them on our website. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Uh, great. Thank and, you. And where do we send that? Uh, you have to tell me after. <laughs> I'll, I'll, well, we can tell you because we want our listeners to send them in as well, the same place, uh, upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, and we'll uh, get all of this on our website uh, later today. Uh, thank right. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We just have a couple minutes left, uh, two minutes left, uh, Elaine. Uh, any uh, last book? Well, yeah. Um, I actually haven't finished it because it's a book of short stories and it's one of those books I read at. Okay. Um, it's Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chang. C-H-I-A-N-G. And um, it's science fiction, but it, it's, it's really an amazing... He, he weaves this present, past, future, uh, all into one. And it, it's, it's, uh, it has to do with a scientist who, whose daughter is born... Uh, at a certain point, but also it, so it kind of, tr- it's letters kind of to her daughter, but it's also the story of this scientist trying to um, decipher the language of some invading aliens wow. and and learning that their language is not linear, but, you know, everything at once, you know, so the the story of her daughter's life and the story of uh, undoing this, you know, figuring out this language is all woven into, it's it's a really an amazing book. And it, um, I be, believe it won some awards. It's a no, story of your life is a novella within this book, um, stories of your life and others. And um, there's a Tower of Babel story in there that is quite interesting. And um, so he is, Ted Chang is a, a very gifted author uh, Story of Your Life won the 2000 Nebula Award for Best Novella. Okay. Uh, Story yeah. of Your Life by Ted Chang. I want to get this in. This is from Susan in Newton. She says, I've been enjoying All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Durr. Uh, the short chapter lengths make it ideal for bedtime reading. It covers the time period of the Nazi occupation of France, which may not make it such good bedtime reading for some. It's well written with some endearing characters. All the Light We Cannot See. And then for magazines, she says, I enjoy Mother Earth News. There is always something of interest in it for the gardener, do-it-yourselfer, homesteader. So, Susan, uh, jealous, uh, thank you uh, for that. And one parting shot from me, um, I always have something by Barbara Tuckman, the wonderful uh, popular historian. The March of Folly is the one I've been reading lately, uh, how governments have gone against their self-interest. Vietnam War, how Britain lost America, uh, the Trojan horse, uh, fascinating history. Wow. Well, that's so uh, we've uh, come to the end of our time. Send your book list in to upraxcess at gmail.com. We'll get it up on our website. And uh, thanks, Elaine. Thank you, Tom. It's fun to be here. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Next up is Bread and Butter, a culinary chronicle with Jen Ashton.
It started simply enough. My mom, weary from decades of holiday cooking, requested a little help with the Thanksgiving menu from my husband, Tom. She asked the right person. Tom served for 11 years as an army cook and a couple more as a sous chef. He makes a mean turkey and the fluffy rolls to go with it. Still, all those years ago, none of us knew we were witnessing the beginnings of what would become a wonder of epic proportions, a culinary saga spanning generations. It is the Thanksgiving Matrix, with a capital M. You mathy types may envision a matrix as a grid of numbers. Others may conjure an alternate reality with trench coats. You're both right. Just throw in cubes of butter and replace the trench coats with French toast. The Thanksgiving Matrix is a tightly scheduled, fully annotated Excel spreadsheet with tabs for recipes, mealtimes, assigned cooks, cleanup crews, even photos. It is not to be trifled with, though you may find instructions for trifle in the dessert section. Everyone receives food assignments, often several. The classics serve as an anchor, turkeys, one made just for leftovers, mashed potatoes, and gravy. Less traditional favorites also fill the spreadsheets. Three-tier maple pecan cake, raspberry pretzel salad, which it turns out is nothing like a salad, even cheesy carrots, a comforting casserole of cheddar and veggie goodness. Our family would brave crowded airports just for the cheesy carrots. The Matrix keeps us on task and on schedule. It's a good thing as our holiday gatherings continue to grow. What started as the fourth Thursday in November creeped into the entire weekend. With fresh gingerbread scones for breakfast, Grandpa's rolls at lunch, and peanut butter bonbons during movie night, no one wants to leave. We've also expanded from the founding members to add new Matrix contributors. Feeding an extended family of 25 is no small feat. Established members bake their signature dishes. New members offer flavors from their own families. Younger additions even step up to the plate, dipping chocolates, stirring gravy, and icing cranberry date bars. Viewed in its abundance, our Thanksgiving matrix reads like a delicious family tree. Recipes passed down for generations and through in-laws join in one mouth-watering place. And really, they aren't recipes. They're childhood memories caught in a whiff. Tributes to beloved family members who have passed. While the meal draws us together, it's not about the skill or the creativity poured into decadent dishes. It is our connections with each other, laughing, remembering, teasing, debating, all warmed over pumpkin pie. Though intimidating at first glance, our detailed menu ensures every dish is honored, every table is cleared, and every one is invited, as long as they follow the matrix. This is Jen Ashton for Bread and Butter.